from Los Angeles. This is the Echelon Radio Network. This is Jerry Hemsworth with the Echelon Radio Podcast, and today I'm with Blake Wells. How are you? I'm doing good, Jerry. Nice to be here. How are you? I'm doing okay for a Friday. Oh, yeah. It's Friday. <laughs> Remember. Oh, thank goodness. So you're with the small business law firm in Thousand Oaks. Yes. Uh, and- we're a small business. We're the small business law firm, a full service law firm for all small business needs. Uh, I'm a business attorney. A lot of my focus has been in litigation, but at the firm, we do a lot of transactional work. Mm. So a lot of our work is keeping people out of litigation. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, I can see what happens in the worst case scenario. And, and through transactional work, I can hopefully figure out how to keep our clients outside of that realm of, of business disputes. But it, disputes arise naturally. Of course. And, and we're there to, to handle both. And you do formations as well, right? Corporate formations. We kind of handle A to Z, the corporate formation, contract formation. We do a lot of employment law. That's where my expertise happens. So many employment laws in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do even estate planning. So, you know, people can keep what they earn. Yeah, so, that's, oh, what a concept to be able to keep what you earn in this state. That's a challenge. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But there are a lot of mechanisms to to do that and avoid probate. Um, And, you know, we always encourage our our clients to get that done early. You know, hope for the best, plan for the worst. It's kind of the motto. Yeah. And you you mentioned um, employment law, that that's one of your specialties, that that's where you focus a lot. Yeah, our our function, we kind of function as inside-outside counsel. So a lot of our clients, you know, will just come to us with questions. Mm. We kind of function as a HR department. Uh, you know, can I fire this person? What do I do in this situation? Right. Um, can you draft us an employment policy handbook? Can you look over our employment policy handbook, employment agreements, um, all the like? There, there's so many. Like, I, I just read an article that the the labor code is, is something like 800 pages long. Are you kidding? No, no. <laughs> and, and there are a lot of ways that employees can wreak havoc on an oh, employer yes. through representative actions, PAGA, class actions, and th- there are ways to mitigate those risks. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was actually just a case that came out, Viking River, that allowed that allowed arbitration agreements to be enforceable uh, against PAGA actions. And PAGA, oh, interesting. PAGA, Private Attorney General Act, is a hot topic in California right now because yes. it essentially allows an employee who suffered one violation to sue on behalf of all the other employees that might have suffered all, all this slew of, of labor violations right, that could ever right. happen, um, no matter how innocent. And these, it really can can hurt hurt a, a company especially a small one if, if they're uh, under 50 employees or it, it could really take somebody down very if they don't have if they're not prepared absolutely absolutely so for better or worse these laws exist uh, yeah. it gives us a lot of business yeah. but you know we want to make sure that we're mitigating that risk for our clients and in the 
unfortunate circumstance that they find themselves in in litigation you know we're there to to work your way through it and get the the best you know most cost beneficial result and in you just wrote an article for and it's a really good article for echelon professional our magazine and um about when you terminate employees what you can and can't do or things you should do and even i learned a, a a number of things from that article but obviously you know with the paycheck upon termination and within a certain amount of hours if somebody quits um it, it was the it, the not um it was the things that you are best practices but it's not required by law that i thought was very very interesting and um how often are you consulting with your clients about did you do this you have to do this or do they do they are they have you do they call you before they're they need to get rid of an employee yes usually this day and age you know can i terminate this employee mm-hmm. is is you know the number one question a right. client will ask their lawyer before before going even forward. if they're at will it does, you know, yeah, we and, still have these concerns. Yeah. And they are at will mm-hmm. by presumption in California. Right. And um, most employers uh, have this at will status. Mm. Uh, in the article, I talk about, you know, because of this at will presumption, an employer with or without notice, with or without cause, can terminate an employee for any reason. Okay. Mm. As long as that reason is not unlawful. Right. And that's where you know, that list gets long. What's not unlawful? Okay, race, gender, implied in contract, mm-hmm. uh, implied contracts that imply a term mm. uh, or imply a, a term that the employee will only be terminated for a good cause. Mm-hmm. You know, where's the line? And mm. employment disputes are tough because it's often so factual mm. and it's, it's so often he said, she said, and it's so often emotional. A disgruntled employee, a disgruntled employer. You know, an employee cannot be the best employee. Um, That doesn't mean you can fire them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And it's usually a a result of mixed motives. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of case law regarding this is is why did you fire this person? And, and, you know, there might be a lot of different reasons, Mm -hmm. but the employee is obviously going to argue, well, it was for this unlawful reason. I complained about this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as a result, I was fired. And that was retaliation yeah well how do you how do you know well you also the employer says well you also didn't show up to work that day (laughs) you also didn't show up to work a year ago and then where does you know and that's where it it gets contentious Mm. and and the issue for employers is that you know if the if the employee's claim is worth one dollar in the sense that you know all they do is win and they Mm -hmm. win one dollar well it in a lot of the employment claims for you know, discrimination, unpaid wages, wage and hour claims, mm. uh, a prevailing employee gets attorney's fees. So if you take a case from, you know, complaint to trial, that's a lot of attorney's fees. Yes. And so a very small claim can get expensive fast. Mm. And an employer oftentimes needs to understand those objective factors mm away from the emotional factors that obviously are part and parcel of, of these employment disputes. So uh, and that's that's our job. I, I do a lot of that litigation and, um, you know, 
I feel like I'm I'm good at presenting the objective factors to mm-hmm. to the client and mm-hmm. and getting them out of the subjective uh, emotional space that we all find ourselves in, especially when it is litigation and, and depending on the employment relationship. So uh, it's it's definitely interesting work, uh, sometimes contentious, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, it's there for a reason. Not every employer is perfect, just like not every employee is perfect. Right. Uh, what I like about my job now is in the transactional aspect. I feel like I can let employers know how they can comply with the law and not get themselves in trouble in this trouble in the first place. Mm-hmm. And therefore, everyone benefits. The employee is benefiting from the law because it's being complied with, and the employer is benefiting from not getting hit with some crazy lawsuit for oftentimes innocent mistakes and yes. and so many times my my clients are just like what yeah, how did, <laughs> I didn't, how did this happen you right. know the um, the employee was asking to take their right. break 30 minutes later <laughs> so they can take it with their friends and and well that's not the law yeah so yeah anyway now the law was not your first profession out of school was it no no i actually i graduated from ucla and i kind of fell into teaching mm-hmm I taught at my old high school. I went to Loyola High School in, in Los Angeles. Go Cubs. <laughs> Brian knew the triple L. I was impressed. Yeah. That was, I, won't do, I won't do that here. But you, what did you teach I taught. I taught Spanish. Uh, and interesting. So my, my junior year at UCLA, I studied abroad in Madrid, and I mm. studied the whole year. A whole year. The whole year, because I wanted to learn Spanish. I had a lot of book knowledge, but I didn't have the the speaking knowledge and the ear. And I was there, uh, I was there, you know, nine months, the academic year. And mm-hmm. uh, I met a lot of people and had a lot of fun and learned a lot of Spanish. So I was going to say, how much did your Spanish improve? It improved a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. I was, I, like I said, I was like book mm-hmm. knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Like I can read the, I, I knew a lot of words, but you can know a lot of words and then hearing someone speak it and, you know, really quickly, you you don't know. And it's just something about being exposed. So mm-hmm. so something I, I made sure I did was mm-hmm. live in an apartment with all Spanish speakers. And it was it was kind of a crazy situation. There were like nine other international students. Some of them were Spanish. Some of them were Italian, German, Mexican. So, you know, <gasps> the Mexican students would keep our Spanish on point. And then the rest of us were kind of learning as we as we went along. And, you know, in Spain, you're having dinner at 10. So you're having dinner at 10, you know, oh, going oh, out at, at midnight. Complete lifestyle change. Yeah. No, it was, it was fun. And I'd never been out of the United States. So it was a huge learning experience for me. How and, long did it take you to adjust? Um, I don't know. I'm pretty flexible. So yeah. I was, you know, and I'm a, I, I consider myself a friendly person. So mm-hmm. I was able to, to adjust quickly. Yeah. But there are just, you know, it's, it's tough. You always have your parents to kind of rely on or, or send you things. And, right. and, you know, I have to go to the store and, and get food and <laughs> do your and, own laundry in Spanish. <laughs> I had to get school supplies and it's like you ask for, it, the culture is so interesting. So, you know, I needed a three ring binder. Mm-hmm. I go to the store. I need a three ring binder. And I say it in Spanish, mm-hmm. un cuaderno de tres anillos. Because mm-hmm. that's what it sounds like to me. She looks at me like I'm crazy. Uh-oh, would you really uh, ask for me? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it, I have those stories, but I won't share them here. But, uh, uh, you know, she looks at me like I'm crazy. Un cuaderno, tres anillos para poner papel. Sí. And she's like, doesn't understand what I'm saying. And she's like, 
eventually, oh, I only ho- have this four ring binder because they have like a different, you know, style it's of, of it's just, way. and so it was just, I don't know, that was just a interesting like introduction to cultures that you can like be on the same page, but not be on the same it's page. It's not just about language. Exactly, exactly. Um, and there's, you know, tons of those stories. And yes, yeah, some of them might be for Echelon After Dark. Yeah. But, uh, um, <laughs> That's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so you were you were a high school teacher back at your old alma, alma mater. Mm-hmm. What made you switch to law? So my... My dad's a lawyer, and so it was always something in the back of my head. Um, I wasn't sure about it. You know, it's a it's a risk, and and if you're not, you know, gung ho about it, you know, and I wasn't gung ho at that point. So I kind of fell into teaching, and and a few years into teaching, I love teaching, mm-hmm. really fun, um, really nice to work with kids, and I was coaching at certain points, but I kind of came to a a crossroads. It was like, okay, you know, I, I'm good at this, I like it. But I feel like I'm teaching my students to to do things that maybe I can be doing, and mm-hmm. and, and I have the skill set that um, I feel like I can be using to do the things I'm telling my my students to to do. Mm-hmm. And so eventually, I said, you know, it's time for me to spread my wings, get out of where I went to high school, and 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 kind of challenge myself to to use my skill set to. And I know it's a cliche, but to help people and ultimately as a, as a lawyer, you really are a problem solver and mm-hmm. someone's kind of first line of defense uh, into, you know, what needs to, what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll take the LSAT and, and get to work. And I had an eye towards criminal defense because that's what my, my dad did. But mm-hmm. once I started, you know, actually studying, I really liked the kind of variety and I guess, what's the word? The I like the civil litigation because there was so much to mm. know and learn in, in different aspects mm-hmm. of society that come into play. You know, you're sure. dealing with government laws and economic policies and, and all these different uh, incentive systems mm-hmm. for why you have these, these rules. Mm-hmm. Um, torts, I loved and and yeah so i i kind of went into that realm and in that realm is civil litigation and and i did some personal injury and you know that that's basically Mm -hmm. i don't do personal injury now but i i do any sort of dispute you Mm -hmm. know between two private parties Mm -hmm. and all the rules and laws and case law that that goes into it very cool Mm -hmm. very cool yeah so switching uh, gears a little bit, uh, you are you love basketball, basketball oh, and sports. Oh yeah, uh, I'm a huge, I'm a huge NBA fan. I played basketball in high school. Um, I, I wish I had a basketball body. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't. Uh, I I was saying earlier. I, when I went to high school, there's 1,200 boys, and I was, you know, pretty good basketball player in, uh-huh. in middle school. But then you get to high school, and you're like, oh, like, oh, these guys bigger. are bigger and faster, and <laughs> something's uh, different uh, here. <laughs> I need to hit the books. Yes. <laughs> but you and you, you've uh, transitioned to golf. You said. Oh yeah, so I mean, I've always played sports like basketball, soccer, and, and at one point I kind of hurt my knee or oh. had tendonitis or something, and uh-huh. so. 
I, I hit the golf course and I got the bug and all, all you need is one shot yeah. and you're there. And it's a, it's a great sport. I, uh, you can play it your whole life and there's always something to improve on. Every putt is different and it's a very like Amen. meditative experience while you're on the course, even though sometimes you feel like you're having a stroke, but <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you look like you're having a stroke. Oh yeah. Robin Williams had a joke. Like, Maybe that's why they call it a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. And you have a, a a little girl. She's a year and a half. Yes. Do you think yes. you'll take her out when she's five or six and teach her about golf? Uh, earlier than five five yeah. and six. I'm gonna I'm gonna take her out. I would love for her to play golf. Uh start with mini golf. Yeah, no it, you have to make it fun and mm-hmm. it's so interesting. Sometimes you'll see younger kids swings yeah. and you're like oh my gosh that's a beautiful swing yeah. they're just their bodies are meant for it and right. I, th- I think the best golfers it's often a matter of flexibility and mm-hmm. so when you're young and you can get it and when you see kind of older people or people who don't have a good mm-hmm. swing and they can be the most athletic person but their body is just not used to yeah, um, so yeah i think tiger was playing golf at two so yeah, lucy's we'll, we'll get her well, going she's got, got a few months, months. <laughs> Come on, Lucy. Mm-hmm. Papa needs a new house. <laughs> but actually, you guys just got a new house, right? Uh, yeah. Not too long ago? Yeah. We, we just moved. Um, unfortunately, our uh, my father-in-law passed, mm. and so we've uh, inherited that house and kind of taking gotcha. care of it and figuring yeah. out what, mm-hmm. you know, but, but we are homeowners. You know, we actually... Nice. I watched a YouTube video and, and unclogged the garbage disposal. Oh, no. I am not a handyman, but I was very proud of myself to <laughs> to do that. But those are the kinds of things that, that I'm signing up for. Um, it, it, it never ends, trust me. When I know. It just never ends. And then lastly, um, you do art, right? You well, have art business of some sort? So this is kind of a side project passion project of mine and I don't do art but it's it's a a project that you know I thought of when I was in in law school and uh basically while I was reading these cases and if you've ever Mm -hmm. seen like a a law school movie you know it is kind of very similar that you know uh, you read these cases and these are often like very old cases Mm -hmm. and and very famous cases you Mm -hmm. know a lot of People in law school will know about these cases, but the the teacher will call on you and ask you for the facts, and you need to know these cases, mm-hmm. you know, uh, really well. And they kind of set the basis of what the law has evolved into and why we have these rules. And they give you the lingo and stuff that you need to eventually be a lawyer and, and apply it outside of school. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you, you read these cases with these you know crazy factual situations. A lot of them are like big accidents or interesting scenarios and, and interactions between mm-hmm. people and physical forces. And, and uh, you know, kind of the teacher in me, I was like, why aren't there pictures of these cases or, you know, images, you know, for a visual learner, this would be insane be, because a, a, a law professor is going to ask you, you know, what's that? Be awesome. Yeah. Exactly. And then for property cases, it's like, you know, you need to know where this is situated in regards to that Um also during law school and working at law firms, I saw art everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I think lawyers, maybe maybe to kind of rebut the stereotype that mm-hmm. they're, mm-hmm. you know, 
Philistines and <laughs> uncultured. Not, and there's no art side here. Exactly. Well, there's art everywhere. And I say, exactly. no, these could be, you know, beautiful pieces of art as well. So creative. Exactly. So I thought of some of the mo- like most famous cases or things that lent themselves most to mm-hmm. kind of imagery. And, I, you know, I'm not an artist, so I, you know, I was like, you know, I'm going to commission artists to to paint some of these scenes, uh, make beautiful works of art, and and you know, ho- hopefully lawyers might be interested and want to yeah. put these in their offices. You know, mm-hmm. these are rules of law that every lawyer has read about and knows. And and if I talk to an attorney, I say, oh, the Fox case, Post versus Pearson, they'll know mm-hmm. what I mean. Oh, Paul's graph, you know, they'll know what I mean. So them, so those are some of the first cases. So. Term of Art Collective was was born. That's what it's called, a term of art. A term of art is like a specialized uh, term that that all my law professors use. They say, "Oh, this uh, this word malice is a term of art," and I didn't Ooh. know I didn't know what it what, what they meant at the time, but yeah. uh, now I do, and it's the name of the company, Term of Art. Nice. And so we sell prints online from some of these artists all over the globe, and it's um, it's been very interesting experience, you know, kind of running your business um, at the same time of, of that I'm, you know, being an attorney and a dad. Yeah, and, so you you're, know. you're a business owner. Yeah. At yes. the same time, consulting and counseling business owners. That's got to be a very, very uh, full circle for you. Absolutely. And, and any business owner is always learning. Yeah. Any attorney is lying to you if they say they're not always learning. Right. And so is a good way to apply what I'm learning in, in real time. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a great experience and, and some of the art is really good. Um, you know, a lot of these cases will have, a lot of these cases are, are so determined by the facts mm-hmm. and that was kind of the, the spark is like, okay, I can put these little facts, these Easter eggs inside the, and so I've been mm-hmm. kind of working as creative director with the artists, uh, you know, you can do what you want, but please put oh, this in we and need that to have in. This a, and it, B, C, and D in And it, it needs to be yeah. true to the case. And sometimes yeah. you can get, you know, a little more, um, you, you can get a little more philosophical mm-hmm. or metaphorical mm-hmm. about maybe what the rule of law is. And, and some of the artists, you know, really take to it and are like, oh, this is very cool. And they'll, and they'll come up with some, some very cool imagery. Very um, fun. So yeah, it's fun. It's cool. Um, I like it. I'm continuing. Mm-hmm. I'm, we're making more art. Uh, as it as it comes out and uh yeah term of art collective term of art co.com you can check it out i'm definitely going to check that out because i love creative and when you can mix professional and creative worlds like you're doing Mm -hmm. it's fascinating and i think it it feeds a lot Mm -hmm. for you thank you so much for being with me today of course, this was really nice. It was like a real podcast. I got to plug my stuff. At, yeah, it's true. <laughs> at the end, it's real. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Presented by Echelon Business Development. More than just networking. Way more.